There are prophetic types and shadows all throughout the Old Testament pointing to Jesus Christ. From the tabernacle and the feasts to the offerings and the high priest, we can identify the Messiah who was and is and is to come. The importance of staying in the Word of God, understanding the New Testament, and its harmony with the Old Testament cannot be overemphasized. To understand one is to understand the other, and they both testify of Jesus Christ, the Messiah. You just heard an excerpt from my latest blog post featured on Love Subscribe. Hi there, and welcome to the Love Subscribe podcast, where we talk about biblical truths, current topics, and where we grow in loving the Word and loving the one who is the Word, Jesus Christ. I am Dawn Hill, and I am the Love Subscribe. In case you might be wondering if someone else is doing the podcast for today, the answer would be no. (laughs) I have been battling a cold the past several days, and it has affected my vocal cords. I'm still able to talk, so I apologize for the raspy voice. It's going to be a little different, but I appreciate you being on here today. So today's podcast is is actually based on an article that I wrote a year ago for Christianity.com called How Can I Identify Messianic Prophecies in the Old Testament? And I found this fascinating when I was doing some research on this and looking into scripture as far as the fulfillment of prophecies that Jesus Christ fulfilled as the Messiah, the types and shadows, different aspects of this. And so I want to talk about this given the Christmas season that we're in. I know some people debate about, you know, was Jesus born during Christmas time? Was he not during, born during Christmas time? But we are celebrating the birth of our beloved Savior, Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ this time of year. And I thought, what better time than now for us to talk about the Messianic prophecies, to talk a little bit about some of the detail of maybe one or two things that you may or may not be familiar with, and maybe cause you to geek out like I do on Scripture. You may already geek out on Scripture, but when I come across things that are so fascinating and you know the truth of Jesus Christ fulfilling these things, even in the types and shadows, but especially the specific prophecies that came to pass, It's amazing. It's fascinating to study these things. So first of all, when we talk about prophecy, which um, I I thought about Revelation 19.10 when I was reading through all these and refreshing my memory on them. Revelation 19.10 says the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. And we can see this all throughout the Old Testament with the types and shadows, the prophecy that Jesus fulfilled. And then in the New Testament with the preaching of the gospel, the foretelling of the gospel, which is prophecy in and of itself. Whenever we're proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ, it's amazing to see all of this come together and be brought to fruition and to know that our Lord and Savior is coming back. He is returning and he's going to fulfill all of these things that he talks about and testifies of in his word through his prophets, through his apostles and as a testimony of himself when he is speaking in the Gospels. So we can see this through and through in the Old Testament and New Testament just to give you an idea of how many prophecies were fulfilled. One scholar named J. Barton Payne found that as many as 574 verses in the Old Testament point to or describe or reference the coming Messiah. 574. That's pretty amazing. Um, Alfred Edersheim found 456 Old Testament verses referring to the Messiah or his times. This is pretty astounding. When you look at these numbers, you look at the specific 
uh, verses that were fulfilled by Jesus Christ, or you're looking at the types and shadows. That's why the numbers are varying in that, because when you take into account not just the prophecies or ones that were repeated more than once, or you look at the types and shadows, it turns into hundreds and hundreds of areas and verses and the typology that are being fulfilled through Christ. Jesus fulfilled at least 300 prophecies in his earthly ministry. That's astounding. And when you look at the statistics of that, for one man to be able to fulfill that, the impossibilities are astounding. There is nobody that could have been able to fulfill all those prophecies, statistically speaking, in our finite natural minds of what we comprehend. But Jesus is no ordinary man. He is truly man and truly God. And he was able to fulfill all these things. So taking a look at this in scripture is amazing. And we cannot discount the Old Testament and just do away with it and say, well, it doesn't matter anymore. It's Old Covenant. We we don't need to look at that. But actually, we do need to look at it because in order for us to understand the New Testament, we have to understand the Old Testament as well. If we read the New Testament and see the many different times that not only the apostles, but Jesus himself referred to the Old Testament, we're, we're going to miss some things and we're not going to understand the importance and the value that's found in the Old Testament and that they go hand in hand. So thinking about these hundreds of prophecies is amazing. There's so many things that we can find in scripture that will point us back to Jesus Christ. And I know I've said this before, but even looking, when you're looking at the Old Testament, it's so important to maybe ask yourself when you're reading, where is Christ in this? Boaz is a great example. Boaz is a type and shadow of Christ as the Redeemer. He redeems Ruth, right? So we can see this even in the people in the Old Testament that are named and their accounts, the accounts of their, their lives are told. It's always pointing back to Christ. So today I want to talk a little bit about these things. I want to talk about the scripture, of course, talk about the the ways that we see Jesus fulfilling these prophecies. Some of the things in the Old Testament, there's one in particular that I love reflecting on that I'm going to share with you here in a few minutes, but we're going to delve into this. So let's get started. Uh, The first place it will start is uh, in Luke 24. This is the first place that I started in this article that I wrote, and I will post the link to this article. And I'm also going to share this on my blog post for this week, and it'll be linked back to the original article that I did last year. You may be familiar with the account in Luke 24, where Cleopas and another disciple are walking along the road to Emmaus following the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And this is one of my most favorite stories to read in the scripture. As they walked along, Jesus drew near and began asking them questions about their conversation. They're walking back to Jerusalem. They're reflecting on what's happened about Jesus' crucifixion, his death, his burial. And now they're walking along and they're sad. They're, They're down because of what has happened. But unable to recognize Jesus, they told of what had happened and of their languishing hope that he was the one to redeem Israel. But Jesus rebuked them saying how foolish you are and how slow to believe all the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? He then went on to interpret to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself, beginning with Moses and all the prophets. And you can find that in Luke chapter 24, verse 27. And I love this story. And the reason why is because when they're sitting there and they break bread with Jesus and then their eyes are opened and they recognize him and then he vanishes, they look at each other and they say, 
Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? See, we can't forget that last part because their hearts burned when he opened the scriptures to them and he testified of himself. Scripture is something that we should value. This is God's word. This is him speaking through his word. This is him testifying of his son over and over and over again. This is him testifying of his plan of redemption from the very beginning. This is showing a sovereign God who was not caught off guard by anything that happened in this world, but that he is sovereign over everything. And that he foreordained the plan for Christ to come and to save his people. It's amazing and it's beautiful. And the word of God should not be discounted and not be taken for granted as something that should be ignored or should not be read. It should be read and studied and treasured because this is God's word. These passages, along with countless others in the New Testament, are interwoven with Old Testament prophecies and types, clearly identifying Jesus Christ as the Messiah, who was foretold hundreds of years before his birth. And there was a, a an interesting quote I came across this a theologian when I was doing this study on Old Testament prophecy, and I thought this was a, a really good quote. He said, There is no finer teacher on whether Jesus is to be found in the Old Testament than the teaching of our Lord Jesus himself. So along with Luke 24, we also see that on the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, especially in Matthew 5, verse 17, that Jesus makes it clear that he did not come to abolish the law or the prophets, but he came to fulfill them. He wanted the people to understand the word pointed back to him including the the religious folk of those days, the people that wanted to study the scriptures diligently because they thought in them they had eternal life. But the scriptures testified of the one who was to come that would bring them eternal life. That doesn't mean that we ignore the scriptures. It means that we trust in the one that the scripture is talking about. So you may be wondering, or maybe, maybe you've never done a study before on Old Testament prophecy to know where even to begin or to see the the types and shadows or to see the actual prophecies in scripture that even begin in Genesis chapter 3 verse 15 where in the garden that God makes the first prophecy about the um that the the offspring of the woman will have victory over the the serpent that the snake's head will be crushed that the heel of the man will be bruised but that he will come and that he will defeat sin. He will defeat the snake. We see this in the very beginning in the garden that this plan was in place. But we're also going to see as we look at some of these, and obviously with hundreds of prophecies, we're not going to be able to look at every single one of them. But I have some that I've highlighted in this article. And then I'm going to dive into at least one account in a little more detail to share with you that that I think may encourage you more to look to look further into these and in more detail and to study the history of some of them. By studying and understanding the earthly life and ministry of Jesus Christ, we can recognize the scriptures that foretold of him in the Old Testament and were fulfilled in the New Testament. And we we have to look at both of those, as I've said. Um, You can't ignore one and pay attention to the other. Otherwise, you're going to miss out on some things and not have full understanding of what's going on. Details surrounding the life and ministry of Jesus Christ and Old Testament prophecy become evident when reading the New Testament in uh, Matthew chapter 1, verse 22, where it quotes the prophet Isaiah concerning the virgin birth of Christ, which we find in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. 
Jeremiah chapter 31 verse 22 foretells of Jesus being conceived by the Holy Spirit. And this was fulfilled in Matthew chapter 1 verse 20 and Luke chapter 1 verse 35. The place of Christ's birth in Bethlehem is noted in two of the Gospels with its first prophesied in Micah chapter 5 verse 1 through 5. So I want to stop there and actually share this particular thing with you. This is where I geek out on scripture. Now, a few years ago, I had come across in a book about the biblical feast, a man talking about how he had been to a conference and this particular Bible scholar that had lived in Jerusalem for years and studied there was talking about a place called Migdal Eater. And he prefaced this by talking about in Luke, where the shepherds are tending their flock, the angel comes to them and he says, behold, I do not be afraid. I bring you tidings of great joy, which shall be for all people for unto you this day in the city of David has been born a savior who is Christ the Lord. And then the following verse says, and this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And the scholar goes on to say to those that are attending his talk, he says, have you ever considered why this was a sign unto the shepherds? So then the scholar goes on to tell them that historically there was a place in Bethlehem called Migdal Eder, which the name of that word means tower of the flock. This place is mentioned in scripture in a couple of places. And we know that one of the prophecies that's talked about where Jesus will be Uh, born is in Bethlehem in Micah chapter 5. But also there is another prophecy that is mentioned in Micah chapter 4 verse 8. And it says this, And you, O tower of the flock, hill of the daughter of Zion, to you it shall come. The former dominion shall come kingship for the daughter of Jerusalem. Migdal Eder is what's being talked about here. This was the tower of the flock. And this tower is was near Bethlehem. It overlooked a pasture where, and they've, and I, to my understanding, they've actually found the remains of this tower. But this tower was two stories. These were actually not shepherds that were watching and tending to their flock. These would have been Levitical priests, according to this Bible scholar. And what happened was these uh, the, the shepherds would actually watch up top in the the upper part of the tower, while the Levitical priests were down below tending to the ewes that were pregnant with Passover lambs. I hope you see where I'm going with this because it's pretty neat. The Levitical priests, when the ewes were ready to to birth the lambs, they would bring them into the tower, the bottom part of the tower. The lambs were born, and there were pieces of the priestly undergarments that had been made into strips to wrap the lambs in. So when the lambs were born, they were wrapped in these cloths to prevent them from getting any blemishes on them. And then they were laid in stone mangers that were in the bottom of the tower. This is why when the shepherds in Luke had the angel come to them and bring them the tidings of great joy and the proclamation that the Messiah had been born, Christ the Lord, when these shepherds would have gone to this place, which many, there are many people that believe that Jesus was actually born in Migdal Eder or near Migdal Eder. And this would also have fulfilled the prophecy because the proclamation of the king was, had come through the tower of the flock in Micah 4, 8. In fact, let's go to Luke chapter 2 and beginning with that verse where the angel comes, we're going to read several verses so you can see what took place. It's a powerful testimony, again, of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. 
says, And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured all these things in her heart, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. This is the fulfillment of prophecy. Micah 4, 8. I mean, we even see that the angels, the multitudes are praising God in this moment. Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Again, when we go back and read in Micah chapter 4, verse 8. And you, O tower of the flock. Hill of the daughter of Zion, to you shall it come. The former dominion shall come, kingship for the daughter of Jerusalem. Jesus is announced. The Lord and Savior is announced in Luke 2. And so when these shepherds would have not only heard this proclamation, but they would have seen it, they would have known this is the Messiah. This is the Passover lamb, the lamb who was to be slain for the sins of the world. Isn't that fascinating? I mean, it's just ma amazing. I'm telling you, I geek out when I hear stuff like this because it's, I'm going, this is amazing. This is in scripture and this is truth. So we can see that hundreds of years before Jesus was born, that these things were fulfilled, that there's no way to humanly orchestrate all of these things for one man to fulfill hundreds of prophecies, let alone 300 in his own earthly ministry. This is just fascinating. Our Messiah, Christ as Lord, he is born and he has been risen, by the way. He died, he was buried, and he is risen and he is coming back. Hallelujah. Details surrounding his ministry about the earthly ministry of Christ such as the blind seeing and the deaf hearing in Matthew 11:5 were prophesied by the prophet Isaiah. This is found in Isaiah 29:18 and Isaiah 35:5. You might recall that in Matthew 11 where John the Baptist is in prison and he sounds like he's discouraged of course and he sends his disciples to ask Jesus, "Are you the one that is prophesied to come?" Let me find that in scripture real quick for you in Matthew chapter 11. And again, I apologize for my voice. I know that's a little deep and maybe a little raspy, so forgive me for that. But hopefully in the next, by next week, it'll be uh, on the mend and sound back to normal. So we see that in uh, Matthew chapter 11, there were messengers from John the Baptist that were sent. And he sends them after he had been in prison and he heard the deeds of the Christ. He sent word by his disciples and said to him, are you the one who is to come or shall we look for another? Jesus, what Jesus says to him, this is again, why it's so important. Get you a, get a good, get you, get you a good study Bible, get a good study Bible, find a good study Bible. That's going to have notes in it. That's going to help you grow, uh, dig into commentaries, dig into find, get Bible dictionaries, get 
get some good biblical resources. They're going to help you grow in your study of the word and not just read it. Definitely read the word of God, but not just stay at the surface of it to where you don't understand what's going on or you're not putting the puzzle pieces together and seeing the, the relevance in the Old Testament and the New Testament intertwining together and they cannot be separated. Jesus answered them and said, in Matthew eleven four, go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight and the lame walk. Lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear and the dead are raised up and the poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. Now what Jesus says to him about the blind receive their sight and the lame walk. Lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear and the dead are raised up and the poor have good news preached to them. He is actually referencing Isaiah 29, 18 and 19 and Isaiah 35, verse 5. So the fact that he's actually referencing these Old Testament passages in what he is saying, John would have recognized this. He would have known the word. He would have known the Old Testament, which, by the way, they didn't have the, the New Testament at this time. So keep that in mind. He would have recognized the Old Testament references that Jesus made to that and would have understood that. We know from the Old Testament that Jesus spoke many times in parables. And that Psalm 78 verse 2 says, I will open my mouth with a parable. I will utter hidden things, things from of old. Again, we see the, the reference here that Jesus would minister in parables. Matthew 13, uh, 34 through 35 testifies of this, that he ministered in parables. The Old Testament speaks of Judas who would fulfill prophecy in betraying Christ for 30 pieces of silver. We find this in Psalm chapter 41 verse 9. In Zechariah chapter 11, verses 12 and 13, several of the Psalms mention the piercing of a righteous sufferer's hands and feet. Psalm 22 is full of prophetic utterances that we hear in the New Testament, and they were fulfilled by Christ. So Psalm 22 is a good one to check out. Soldiers casting lots for the for this individual's coat. Again, for Jesus Christ, this is in Psalm 22. Um, that his none, none of his bones would be broken. This is referenced in Psalm 34, 20, and the resurrection is spoken of in Psalm 49, verse 15. I know I'm going through a lot of scripture, but there's a lot to cover here. And again, there's no way to cover everything, but this will give you maybe whet your appetite to kind of get into the word more and to look at this and to realize our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, uh, and what he did and what the word testifies of him in. In the very beginning of the Old Testament, we see from Genesis to Malachi, there are continual references, whether in types and shadows or prophecies themselves, that are pointing back to Christ, that are pointing back to the redemptive plan of God from the beginning. Uh, we find the first prophecy, as I said, in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, with the, the telling of the seed from a woman who would crush the head of the serpent. We see messianic prophecies can be found pointing to Jesus Christ all throughout the Old Testament. We uh, There's at least six direct messianic predictions in the Pentateuch. We find those, we find those in Genesis 3.15, as I said, Genesis 9.27, Genesis 12, verses 2 and 3, Genesis 49, verses 8 through 12, Numbers chapter 24, verses 15 through 19, and Deuteronomy chapter 18, verses 15 through 18, which Deuteronomy 18, by the way, is when Moses is prophesying of the prophet that was to come, that his people would listen to him. This is Christ. If you read the New Testament and it talks about, are you the prophet? 
um, or it talks about when people ask John the Baptist, are you the prophet? And he says, no, when they say the prophet, this is who they're referring to is the one that that's testified of in Deuteronomy 18, who was Jesus Christ. We know that Jesus defeated Satan, that he would dwell with his people, that he would bless the nations of the earth through Abraham's seed, which would come through Judah, that he would be a star to come out of Jacob and a scepter to rise out of Israel, and he would be a prophet. Which another interesting thing to realize, too, in the Old Testament, when you see Balaam, who was not a prophet of God, by the way, and was ultimately the one that uh, led, gave the idea to lead Israel into the sin of idolatry and, and intermarriage with those that were committing idolatry with their, with their women that were pagans, uh, he actually prophesied of Christ. He told that he would be a star to come out of Jacob and a scepter to rise out of Israel. That's an interesting thing, too, that just so we can see in Scripture, whether it be through Balaam or through Caiaphas in the New Testament, who was not a believer, who was one of the priests that that's testified of Christ's death, God uses even the unrighteous to testify of his son. So that also should help us to know that we are to test any voice that we listen to because just because they're saying something that's true does not mean that they are a believer. So another little nugget to add in there. Nevertheless, we do see in scripture that there are people who were not believers in Christ that testified of him and prophesied of him and spoke things forth that were true of Christ. The scripture tells us that the throne of David would be established forever. This was prophesied in 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 12. 1 Chronicles chapter 17, verses 11 through 14, and 2 Chronicles chapter 21, verse 7. The promised Redeemer is mentioned in Job chapter 19, verses 25 through 27. And a priest like Melchizedek is noted in Psalm 110, verses 1 through 7. Proverbs chapter 30, verse 4 declares the Son of God. Again, I hope that you're seeing here that the Old Testament is chalked full of references to Jesus Christ. Again, not to mention the fact when you look at even stories, like I mentioned before, such as Boaz and Ruth, when you look at Joseph, type and shadow of Christ and the things that happen with him that are pointing back to the redemptive plan of God that testifies of that typology. When you look at uh, Daniel, the things that some of the things that happened to him and the fiery furnace, when you look at uh, Meshach, Shadrach, Abednego, and the fourth man in the fire, when there's so many things that we can see in scripture, even, even basically looking at the tabernacle, looking at the Levitical priest that's pointing back to Christ, when you're, when you're looking at the kings pointing back to Christ, because Christ is prophet, priest, and king. When you look at the prophets and what they're testifying of, when you look at the sacrifices that were done, when you look at the biblical feasts, they were all pointing back to Christ. I mean, it is it is saturated through and through. When you see Rahab, the scarlet thread that's hanging outside of her window, hello, this is the blood of Christ through and through from Genesis to Revelation, the scarlet thread. It is all throughout scripture. And there is no excuse for anyone to say, well, the Bible is just boring. I don't want to read it. It's just a historical account. It's just a book. Wrong. Eh, I'm sorry. No, this is, this is testifying of our Lord and Savior. This is a beautiful word for us to read and take in and to realize every time we read it, this is God, ins- this is God breathed. This is inspired by God. The Holy Spirit carried these men along as they wrote the scriptures and they testified of Christ through and through. And it is beautifully interwoven together and it is seamless and flawless to where it testifies of Christ. 
testifies of Christ, testifies a plan of redemption, testifies of the one who would be born in a manger, wrapped in swaddling cloths, testifies of the one who would come and that would heal our sin sickness, that would reconcile us back to God the Father, and that would cause us to be adopted as sons into the kingdom of heaven. It's a beautiful, beautiful picture through and through. Please don't ignore the Old Testament. Please don't. I know that there can be this tendency, and you've even probably heard people minister and teach this, that we don't need the Old Testament. It's a flawed way to look at Scripture. Because if you try to get rid of the Old Testament, guess what? You're going to have to rip out a lot of the things in the New Testament that are actually testifying of the Old Testament. Who's testifying of Christ? We don't want us to try to separate that because it's all testifying of our Lord and Savior. The prophets of the Old Testament foretold of the Messiah, Jesus Christ. Isaiah, which we know very well, he was one of the, the most well-known ones that testified of Christ. He's known to one of, one of the major prophets. He proclaimed more prophecies concerning Christ than anyone, particularly Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53 says, actually, let me back up. I have a, a habit of doing this. Let's read Isaiah 53. But before we do that, I'm going to back up to Isaiah 52 just for a little bit and begin with verse 13, a few verses, about three verses before Isaiah 53. Isaiah 52, 13 says, Behold, my servant shall act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up and shall be exalted. As many were astonished at you, his appearance was so marred beyond human semblance and his form beyond that of the children of mankind. So shall he sprinkle many nations. Kings shall shut their mouths because of him. For that which has not been told them, they see, and that which they have not heard, they understand. Who has believed that he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant, and like a root out of dry ground. He had no former majesty that we should look at him, and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief." And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people, and they made his grave with the wicked, and with a rich man in his death, although he had done no violence, and there was no deceit in his mouth, yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one my servant make many to be accounted righteous." and he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death 
and was numbered with the transgressors, yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. That is a beautiful passage and a beautiful picture of our Savior. And the reason why I bought, backed up to um, Isaiah 52 was because it actually includes the, the part where we see that he would be uh, lifted up and exalted, which this would also maybe th- cause you to think of in Israel when the, the snake is put up on the, the rod, when all the people were bitten by snakes and they were dying. And Moses puts the uh, in instruction of the Lord, he puts the snake up on the rod and the, the rod is lifted up. The snake is lifted up on, on that, uh, the, the wood on the rod. And we see there that this is a type and shadow of Christ being lifted up and exalted to where the sins would be, um, people would be cleansed and they would be healed of their, their sickness of sin, their iniquities, their transgressions. That's what that's talking about. That is dealing with sin. And even going on to read in verse 14 in in Isaiah 52, that many were astonished at his appearance. It was so marred beyond human semblance and is formed beyond that of the children of mankind. I mean, this is what sin does. When I think about what what Jesus would have looked like on the cross, and I can't even fathom that with my with my natural mind. I cannot comprehend what he looked like. I can read this passage of scripture and try to understand, but when I think about it, I think he fulfilled prophecy in this, and I think about how ugly sin is and how it changes us. I mean, this really is, is demonstrating what sin, the outward appearance of, of what Christ took upon him for our sake, of what sin does, it, it that it it destroy it mars and destroys and it takes away from what what God created us to be in the beginning. Christ took that upon Himself. He became a curse for us. He redeemed us from the curse and became a curse for us. He didn't sin, but He took that upon Himself. Our sin was imputed to Him, and in place. His righteousness is imputed to us. But Isaiah 53, it's, Isaiah 53 is such a beautiful passage because we get, this, we get to see this picture of our Lord and Savior describing Him, His nature, and what He did, and the joy that was set before Him on the cross and that He was satisfied, even though it was the will of the Lord to crush Him and to put Him to grief, that out of His anguish that He will be satisfied. When we know... In, in the New Testament that it talks about how for the joy of the cross that was set before him, Jesus knew what was coming after the cross, after the resurrection. And he knew that the promise that was to come for those that would repent and believe in him, he looked to that. There was joy beyond that. So Isaiah 53 is a beautiful one to read. And I wanted to read that in its entirety, along with a little bit of Isaiah 52. A description of the new covenant brought forth by Christ is described in Jeremiah chapter 31, verses 31 through 34. And Ezekiel chapter 34, verse 23 says, I will place over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he will tend them. He will tend them and be their shepherd. And we know that in the New Testament, the Messiah, Jesus Christ, is referred to as the good shepherd. Daniel speaks of his everlasting kingdom in Daniel chapter 7, verse 13 and 14. And when we look at the minor prophets, we can't leave out the minor prophets, right? I mean, people say that they're minor prophets, like it's the minor leagues or versus the major leagues. But come on now. I mean, minor prophets, their words are just as significant because they are the words of God coming out of them that are God-breathed and divinely inspired. We see messianic prophecies of Israel's restoration. Hosea chapter 3, verse 5. Talk about types and shadows there. In Hosea, Hosea having to marry a prostitute, and it's basically talking about redeeming the bride 
Hosea chapter 3, verse 5, the promise of the Holy Spirit, Joel chapter 2, verse 28 through 32, the establishment of the kingdom, Micah chapter 4, verses 1 through 8. We read a little bit of that. The lamb on the throne, Zechariah chapter 2, verses 10 through 13, a heavenly high priest, Zechariah chapter 6, verse 12 and 13, and the light of the world, Malachi chapter 4, verses 2 and 3. Now, there's no way, again, for me to go, you and I to go through every single prophecy here. We would we would be here for a long, long time on this podcast. This is a fraction of the Old Testament prophecies proclaiming Jesus Christ as the Messiah. Not to mention that, uh, like I said, Judas is prophesied of in the Old Testament. John the Baptist is prophesied of that he would prepare the way uh, for the Lord, that he would be the one that would... Um, that would uh, turn the hearts of the fathers back to the sons and the sons hearts of the sons back to the fathers in Malachi. That's that's talking about John the Baptist. This is but a fraction of what it, what would take place. Uh, again, not to mention that there are mention mentionings of the Gentiles coming to the Lord to be part of His people. That's mentioned in the Old Testament, fulfilled in the New Testament, as we've seen. So these are prophecies fulfilled through Jesus Christ and found within the Gospels, as well as Romans, Acts, the Epistles, and Revelation. So through and through, we see prophecy being fulfilled. According to the Holman Illustrated Bible Dictionary, the early church held the responsibility of showing how the Old Testament prophecies pointed to Jesus, and that he came into the world as the son of David, a title closely linked with the Messiah as a royal person. So the early church relied on the Old Testament to minister the gospel of Jesus and to testify of him think about that. I know I probably mentioned that before, but sometimes we take that for granted in our modern day times. We think, well, we had the Bible. We had the Old Testament, New Testament. We have the full, complete canon of scripture, right? We think, well, this is what they use. But think about it in the early church. I mean, you think about Acts. Acts is recorded to be, had been written around 62, 65 AD, which Christ died 33 AD. So, uh, this was written a few decades after, uh, recorded and written down a few decades after, and some of the other books were written, the Gospels were written a little later, um, some of the uh, epistles were written earlier than these than these things. Actually, Corinthians was written, uh, 1 Corinthians was written in 54 AD, if I'm not mistaken, by Paul, so that was written before Acts was written. There's something to kind of think about when you're thinking about some of the things that are taught even today and thinking about some of the references of uh, manifestations and gifts of the Spirit and such. Another topic for another day. But you think about in the time of the early church, how did they preach the gospel? Well, they were preaching from the Old Testament. That's how they ministered the gospel because the gospel was in the Old Testament. (laughs) The The gospel was testifying of Christ. What do you think the Bereans were looking at when they were testing Paul? They were looking at the Old Testament. They were looking at the scriptures of the Old Testament, the Torah, that were that were testifying of Christ. As we're wrapping up with this, we see all throughout scripture, and this was a drop in the bucket, we can see all throughout scripture that there are prophetic types and shadows throughout the Old Testament, and we see the fulfillment in the New Testament. This is why it's so important that we read the Word of God, and this is why I say I do not despise prophecy. <laughs> I do not despise prophecy because this is true prophecy, the the prophecy that's concerning Jesus Christ. And I go back again as I I circle back again to Revelation 19.10. The testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Whenever prophecy is being released, it appears that it should be pointing back to, ultimately pointing back 
to Jesus Christ, that it's testifying of him. And when we look at scripture, we can see over and over that this is, uh, as Peter said, this is a more sure word of prophecy. This Bible is full of prophetic utterances. It's full of prophetic types and shadows of pointing back to the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who was and is and is to come. And we need to continue to be students of the word. This is why it's so important that uh, we we become students of the word. We remain students of the word. We want to to study and to understand scripture better. We want to understand the, the context of what was going on. We want to understand the historical uh, relevancy around certain things. Like I talked to you about Migdal Eater. Um, I, when I realized that, it was like my mind was blown because that, that was something I never realized or recognized. And sometimes I think, you know, I'm guilty of this and you may be, may think that this may be an issue for you too. When you're reading scripture, sometimes we tend to glaze over things. Or if you're doing, I'm finishing up a, a full year of reading the Bible and it's very easy to sit there and take your little checklist and go, Oh, yep. Okay. I read that today. I read that today. I read that today. I've only got like so many, so much time. I'm going to read this on my lunch break or the kids aren't awake yet. I'm going to read this. And I don't want to put condemnation on on you or myself, but sometimes we get in that mode of it. We treat the word of God like a checklist and I understand that we're all busy. At the same time, I have to remind myself too: slow down, read the text. What is it saying? If you can't do this right now, maybe come back again later and read it again or highlight the places and then spend some time really thinking about them, meditating on them, doing some studying on them. And when I say meditation, I don't mean empty your mind and hum and cross your like crisscross applesauce and and put your fingers in a certain position. I do not mean that. When I say meditate on the word, uh, I mean, fill your mind with the word of God and think on it, chew on it, uh, ponder on it, um, study it consider it, uh, ask God to write it on your heart so that you, there's certain verses that, that convict you or that they are really ministering to you in that capacity to draw you closer in your fellowship with Christ and to, to draw you closer in your maturity and your walk in maturity as you're being led by the Holy Spirit. Those are things to, those are things that we need to pay attention to, but I want to encourage you just like I encourage myself. If you're reading the Bible through in a year, or if you commit to daily Bible reading, don't just treat it as something on your checklist. Make time to study what you're reading, or if you can at that moment, come back to it, spend some more time on it, uh, invest in some good resources, get online. There are free resources available today, good resources that you can find that you can do some digging, research on on topics, and help to help you grow in understanding the Word of God better. You know, there can be this fallacy of thinking, well, you know, reading the Bible is just, it, it's just mundane, or it's just a formality, or it's just a book. That That's a fallacy. <laughs> that's a fallacy that, that we need to not even consider. Because this, this book, this word, contains the testimony of our Lord and Savior. And if we want to understand God's ways, if we want to understand who God is, his attributes, who the Lord and Savior is, who understand Jesus Christ, understand the Holy Spirit, how he works, what he does, what is his role in our lives. If we want to understand all the attributes of God and 
mind you, there is no way, again, our finite minds cannot fully comprehend some of the things that are in scripture, but we are to commit to reading the word of God, to studying it, to realizing that also in this fallacy is this thing of, I have to have my own experiences. It's not just enough. The word's just not enough to understand God. I've got to have my own experiences outside of scripture in order to really have intimacy with with God. And that can get off into dangerous territory. What happens is when we start to develop this way of thinking, this fallacy of going, I can't have intimacy with Christ if I'm just staying in uh, the word of God to understand who he is. That's a false way of thinking about intimacy with Christ. Because our fellowship is very much so intertwined in us understanding the word of God. And also this keeps us out of deception. It keeps us from following any uh, winds of doctrine, as Ephesians talks about, that will blow us to and fro. This understanding the word better helps us to be a better witness for Jesus Christ. It helps us to uh, be able to direct people back to the truth of the word. So if we hear something that's not true, we can actually say, well, no, this is what the word of God testifies of according to who God is, who Jesus Christ is, the Holy Spirit, what his ways. This is why it's so important to stay in the word of God. And so I want to encourage you uh, for those that, that may feel like if you've heard people say things like that about the Bible being mundane, or it's, it's very important for us to stay in the word of God. It's, it's important for us to be students of the word of God, to not look at the Bible as something that's mundane or that, you know, if we're studying the word of God and we know what his word says to, to have this false belief that we're not drawing closer to Christ in doing such things. We actually are, we're, we're enriching, we're deepening uh, our relationship and our fellowship with Christ by staying in the word and knowing the one who is the word. Jesus Christ and loving his word and loving the one who is the word Jesus Christ as I as I mentioned. So I hope that this was helpful to you guys. And as again, I wanted to share this because I thought it was so appropriate as we come into this Christmas season. And I know some people again get off into that, well, you know, Jesus wasn't born during this time or whatever. But regardless of that, I, I'm I don't know about you, but I'm 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 celebrating the birth of my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. I'm rejoicing in the the birth of my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I, I rejoice that he died on the cross for me, that he was buried, that he was resurrected, and that he He is at the right hand of the Father, and that he is returning, and he is he's coming back in all of his glory. To, to um, He rules and reigns now. He is going to come back, and he is going to fulfill everything that he has spoken in his word. And I rejoice. I rejoice in that. And when I see these, these prophecies in Scripture and think on them and ponder them and realize, wow, you know, Jesus was prophesied of thousands of years before this and that he fulfilled these things and that he did all these things in his earthly ministry and fulfilled all these, these 300, if not more, 300 prophecies in his earthly ministry and that his word continues to testify of him and that the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. And this is why I don't despise prophecy, like true prophecy, because this is testifying of him, testifying of my Lord and Savior, and it's a beautiful thing. So stay in the word, guys. And if you're one of those that whether you read the word and maybe you found yourself treating it as more of a mundane thing or something on your checklist, or maybe you don't read the word at all um, and you're convicted by not reading the word or 
you know, in this day and time, we can listen to the Word of God on our phones. We have many different ways now with the modern technology that we can be taking in the Word of God and listening to it and pondering on it and thinking on it, listening to teachings on it, expositional, expository preaching on it so we can understand the Word better. If you're in one of those two categories, first of all, don't fall into condemnation, but go before the Lord. Repent. Ask Him to help you. Ask the Holy Spirit to help you in your understanding of the Word. Ask Him to to give you that that desire to read the Word of God. Uh, I know sometimes I forget to do this, I'll be honest, but I find myself more now wanting to remember before I open the Word and praying and asking the Lord, Lord, help me to understand your Word before I, as I, as I read it. So that way that I have a better understanding. And if there's anything that I've falsely believed or if there's anything that it's not true, convict me by your spirit to understand your word better so that I testify of you in the way that I should, that I'm glorifying you when I speak of your word and testify of your word and testify of you ultimately is what is what we're doing as believers in Christ. So don't fall into condemnation with that. But make a point to get in the Word and begin to read and study and to understand that this is part of your fellowship with Christ and uh, grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ by reading or listening, studying the Word of God. Be blessed today by this Word. Thank you for joining me on this podcast. If you would like to connect with me, you can find me on Facebook and on Instagram at lovesickscribe. And if you enjoy reading, feel free to hop on over to lovesickscribe.com and subscribe to my blog. I've enjoyed being with you today, and I look forward to our next time together as we talk about biblical truths, current topics, and we continue to grow together in loving the Word and loving the one who is the Word, Jesus Christ. Blessings to you.